Hey, this week's essential question is exploring best. Oh, sorry, scratch that. Hey, this week's topic is explore best practices for teaching remotely. Really timely topic for this time of year. Tech talk for teachers. Want to practice? Tech talk for teachers. The podcast where teachers discuss how technology can positively transform teaching and learning. I'm Rena Clark. I'm Paul Beckerman. And I'm Pam Beckerman. We are digital learning specialists. And we're here to share actionable teaching strategies for remote and blended learning. Education is our passport to the future. Oh, I love listening to those quotes on the intro. That is, that's really inspiring. I think it's time for a little quote merry-go-round here. We all need to share one. So here's mine. A.J. Giuliani, one of my favorite education writers, he says... Imagine if your job description changed every single day, drastically at times. That's what it's like to be a teacher right now. You know what? There's wisdom and truth in that. Wow, are we changing? (laughs) Absolute truth in that. Another Mm -hmm. good quote is, education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire. Wonder which one that one is? William William Butler Yeats. Timeless. Whoa, Mm -hmm. classic poet. Love it. (laughs) I mean, I have another classic uh, quote, but from my favorite Pixar character, Dory, and it's just keep swimming. <laughs> Love it. Kind of been my motto lately. Oh my goodness, it fits perfect. <laughs> and that's so good because if our listeners could see you right now, they would see Dory in your background. Woohoo! Go Nemo. <laughs> All right. So kind of jumping off AJ Giuliani's quote there of, you know, our job description changing every day. Let's explore some of the best practices for teaching remotely today. On our Twitter chat this week um, with hashtag Tech Talk for Teachers, one of the highlights was our fellow educators mentioning that importance of choice in assessments um, was especially effective during their summer program. Paul, how do you give students choice when it comes to assessments? You know, the beauty of digital is there are almost endless opportunities for choice and creation. And really, creation is the key in my mind. If we let kids create, Wow, they can be collaborating, they can be communicating, they can be problem solving, they can use that creativity that we know is going to be so important throughout their lives and um, give them choice to do that. You know, they could do video, they could do audio, they could do text based, they could do presentations. Maybe they come up with something we've never even thought of before, which is especially exciting. I had one student one time, he created a video game and was like, what? (laughs) You created a video game? I was totally blown away. Rena, what do you what are you thinking about this? I think I just elaborate on what you said. It's just so important to allow for there to be creativity, but also sometimes there that can stunt or freeze students. So I think it's great to also provide a choice board for students and some of those things that you talked about. So maybe they have a choice as how they will respond. And maybe some people like responding in writing, or they want to do a video or even do their own podcast. Um, As you mentioned, a lot of students now are interested in computer science, and they want to code and a thought or code their final project, however you want to do it. Um, And it really ties into the ISTE standard of creative communicator. So if you haven't heard of that, you can check that out. But it's really important for students to be able to communicate, understanding in a creative way. And that's really going to help set them up for their future and career. So Pam, I think we had uh, some other comments. Can you tell us another one? 
Yeah, another one. I'm going to read it exactly as it appeared in the chat because I thought it was so powerful. Start by thinking about the first day, first week, and then the first month. Which norms and teaching practices are highest leverage? Start with those and be very intentional with students, especially younger students. Then build little by little. What do you think of that one, Rena? Oh, absolutely. That's a great way to think about it. First day, first week, first month. And you can even think like, even if you've already started, you can start, oh, today's a new day. So I'm going to think about just today. Then I can think about the week and then I can think about the month. Um, Another great strategy someone shared to help them with that is they actually put um, reminders in their calendar of things that they wanted to accomplish the first day, first week, first month, just as kind of a check-in for them to make sure that they were accomplishing those goals that they set for themselves. So that can be really a helpful tool. How about you, Paul? you have any ideas or responses to that? Yeah, you know, I, when I was hearing that, I was thinking that should almost be on a poster or something. <laughs> it's cross-stitch, maybe. <laughs> cross-stitch, I like that too. You know, it's it's just kind of an inspiring thing. And, and there's several things in there. One is that sequence of going first day, first week, first month. And it, it kind of goes back to that go slow to go fast kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if we think that our students are going to have to pivot to different models throughout the year, depending on you know, infection rates from COVID-19 or something, maybe there's going to have to be a transition. Those first days and weeks are going to be so important for establishing those norms and routines, which were referenced in the, in the quote there from Twitter. And if we don't take time to build those early on, we're going to be so much slowed down later on when our students have to work at home and they're not going to know what to do. Yeah, I think that's so important. And Paul, and just I've talked to a lot of teachers that lots of times they're so excited and they think big picture and they just start using something and then they end up having to go back 10 steps because they forgot that whole (laughs) pre-teaching that you mentioned. So starting small, um, maybe think of considering what would be those highest leverage things, whether it's highest leverage norms, highest leverage tools, highest, highest leverage learning goals, and then be really intentional and specific and provide time and space for students to practice those. And possibly if you want to give students more kind of buy-in and control, have them develop those with you as well. That is so key. You know, if, if you give students a voice in that, they're, like you said, it's the buy-in factor, and mm-hmm. now it's their strategies and it's their norms. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and take a deep dive into our essential question, which was, what are some of your tips and best practices for teaching remotely? Yeah, I'd like to take a little more time on on what we sort of just talked about, that the beginning of the school year, because I, I think our best practices and tips right now need to focus on that. It's that go slow to go fast. Take time to make time. One of my colleagues mentioned it's the five for 50 approach. Take five days to benefit yourself for 50 more down the road. And Mm. it's it's really investing up front. And I think there's some keys here. One is relationships. That's like the thread that holds the whole thing together. You got to build relationships and then teach the technology and Mm -hmm. the routines. And I know that technology is not our ultimate goal. It's the means by which we can accomplish our goals. But if we don't teach the technology early and then we have to pivot to a distance learning or remote learning environment, our kids will not be ready to succeed in that environment. No, that's, that's so key, Paul. It's just that 
students really need a chance to practice and experience those expectations that you clearly communicated to them and also in a safe environment. So even some of those digital citizenship skills. So if we're going to practice, it's so important upfront to clearly communicate expectations, let's say using a chat feature, clearly communicate those expectations, maybe even co-develop those expectations and then have a safe environment for them to practice those expectations before then applying them to maybe an assessment or something more formal. It's going to be just key for students to be successful. And also really thinking about the age of your learners as well, because that might be different, you know, working with kindergarten students and the amount of time you're going to need than working with high school students. Are you saying that a kindergartner will need repeated practice? Yes. However, I have found that sometimes those younger students actually do a much better job in some ways, um, and they latch on to those, and they get excited about them. So they're really, really able to learn new things. (laughs) You know, I totally agree. And I think sometimes we sell those kids short. They Mm -hmm. can do amazing things if we let them and if we empower empower them to do that. And when you were talking, the, the word that really stood out to me was that practice piece. Mm-hmm. And, and I love you brought up the chat idea. You can chat in class. You don't have to only chat when you're out somewhere else, you know, practice it there. I could totally see telling my kids, all right, for the next 30 minutes, we're going to pretend that we are remote. And I want to see if you can do it. Prove to me that you can do the things that we've been practicing. Yeah, it's important. Thank you for pointing that out for them to practice. And I have a I have a colleague and one of their sayings I've always appreciated is digital citizenship is not a vaccine. It's not like you just give it to them once and we're good to go. Um, They need continual practice over and over again. Um, And someone else, I always remember that they kind of said it like with a toddler with toothpaste, like it's inevitable that a toddler is going to squeeze all of the toothpaste out of the toothpaste tube. And there's no way for us to get the toothpaste back into the tube, but we can teach them how to clean it up. And that is true with students as well and with digital citizenship. So we need to teach them good practices. But if they do something that maybe isn't the best, you know, learn from it, help them clean that up so they can do better next time. (laughs) I love the metaphors. you got to keep those coming. That's awesome. I have really, really smart colleagues that I work with, so I just keep borrowing from them. That's what educators do, right? Borrow and repurpose. We're really good at that. (laughs) Absolutely. Reuse, recycle, and reuse, right? Well, I guess I said reuse twice, but we'll do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Which actually, if you want to borrow and reuse a lot of our things, we have a ton of stuff on Avid Open Access, even templates that you can feel free to borrow, reuse, and make your own, Um, and lots of suggestions to really help you as you navigate these first days, weeks, and months. You bet. And, you know, we we have a kind of a parallel series of articles on online. One sort of details the self-paced lessons that you can create. So if you're in an environment where your students are working remotely and they're going to be working through their own self-paced uh, playlist or a, a set of tasks, there's guidance for that. And then Reno, we've got this great series on if you're teaching live, you know, if you're using uh, Zoom or Google Meet or something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So I know Paul and I, we each kind of got to focus in on some different ways of teaching. I really focused in on live, so synchronous, and Paul was able to look at more of the self-paced and asynchronous. Um, And there are best practices that work in both, but sometimes there are specific things that might work better. So in live, as we were talking about 
before formative assessment, there are some really great strategies that you can use with students and things even like have the students create a TED Talk. So something similar to a TED Talk, and they can maybe they're the ones engaging and teaching others in their classroom about what they learned about. Um, And that can be really captivating for students. (laughs) Uh, And then there's other things where just visual cues, but if you can transition the power to students, even during those synchronous sessions, it should not be the teacher doing most of the talking. Because if the teacher is doing most of the talking, that probably lives in a self-paced environment because you could take a video of yourself doing that. So how do you engage students in discussions using breakout rooms and other materials or using something? There's a great strategy that was shared with me this week. Once again, I'm borrowing and reusing. So thank you. (laughs) Um, It's called the waterfall chat and it's been so helpful. So you pose a question or thinking and you have everyone type it into the chat, but they do not press enter. You wait until there is a signal or cue so that everyone has the same processing time and thinking. They type it in, and then everyone hits enter at the same time, and then they can go back and read through the responses. But it really makes some of those, I know sometimes the participant, I'm feeling anxious because other people have already entered, and it's really great, and it's the same thing I was going to say. It alleviates all of that pressure. So just little strategies like that. And then, Paul, I know you have tons of great resources and strategies about kind of self-paced learning. Any really big high-level tips for people? Yeah, I got a few thoughts, but I just want to comment on that waterfall activity. (laughs) That's awesome because, you know, it gives students that think time. And Mm -hmm. that's the part that's really lacking in in the live environment so often is that, like you said, kids feel trampled or they feel like they don't have the confidence maybe to to jump into that conversation. Love it. I've got a great visual cue for it. You just do the waterfall fingers and then the talking hands chat. So visual cues to go with it. Perfect. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. So self-paced lessons. Yeah. And, and, you know, these can work at any age level, just depends on, you know, what tool you're delivering it with. But I would say the key is simplicity. Mm. You've got to keep a simple and consistent design so that students don't have to use their cognitive energy to try to figure out where <laughs> to go, how to find the ideas. They can spend the cognitive energy on the learning. And uh, simple design, challenging learning. I mean, that's what we really want. We want to push them in the academics, but not in, they don't need to have a master's degree in navigating LMS. I actually, I love your point of simple design. So I actually have three young kids myself, and I think keeping it simple for families is huge. And for all families, but especially families with really young learners. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate that comment. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, Good teachers are not the ones who take the simple concepts and make them seem really difficult and sophisticated. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who take the difficult things and make them super easy. And I think mm-hmm. the best teachers are always good at simplifying. Mm-hmm. Get people to learn. They don't even know they're learning sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We only have so much cognitive energy and we got to put it in you know, where it counts. One way that we can simplify, too, is if we come up with sort of a consistent online lesson design, it might look a little different than it does in a live classroom. And there's a few that that I've run into along the way. Like one is learn, process, demonstrate. Mm. So like if every lesson followed that, that pattern, first you learn something, then you process it, so you do something with it, you practice, you, you make it more mm-hmm. internalized, and then you demonstrate 
what you have learned for the day. And that's where a lot of that creativity can come in. So a learn process, mm -hmm. demonstrate. Another one that I've seen used e even with the youngest learners is engage, explore, explain. Hmm. Where you engage the learner, get them hooked, let them explore, and then have them explain what they've discovered on their exploration. Yeah, and I know over where I where I work, uh, we actually call it launch, explore, summarize, which is essentially the same thing. So I'm sure many of our educators out there have heard something similar. It might be a little bit differently worded, but I think the concept is the same and it's important to think about. Yeah, and it's that consistency again. Mm -hmm. It's a simple design, but then you can be really creative within the confines of that little uh, structure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just want to point out, Paul pointed out in our last episode, and you can listen to more about it in that episode, but really designing with change in mind. So knowing that you may be in person one day, remote the next, maybe you're in a hybrid model. But if you really think through and design um, with change in mind, so thinking about this might work in any environment, that's going to alleviate stress and work and be simple and easy for students to follow, whether they're in person or not. You know what? When you're designing with change in mind, you can also design and change your mind. <laughs> so it's not, it's, you don't have to always keep doing it the way you've done it. If you find that there's a better way, change your mind and find a new way. You know what? I think a big part of that is to get student feedback. So I know that you can easily use a Google Microsoft form very simply um, to get feedback from students and being transparent and honest with students so they see you as a person is good. And if they know that you are going to take that feedback that they give you and apply it, they're going to be more respectful and they're going to be more engaged and it's going to be really helpful. So just including that. And the other thing is you can get family feedback as well. Um, maybe with longer periods or just feedback about certain things, like how is this working for you? Are there any barriers? What can I do better? I think that is constantly a cycle of improvement that you can work on. Cycle improvement. That's mm -hmm. perfect. Love it. Say, let's let's talk about some tools. And I know that we're not only about the tools, but I, our teacher friends out there are always looking for new ideas. How can we engage our kids differently? So um, mm -hmm. what's, what's on your mind right now, Rena, as far as tools? Well, so as I've told you all before, I work with younger learners and a great tool to kind of show thinking as well as just engage students is Book Creator. So it does integrate well with some learning management systems, but it's really great. Um, and it really does work for K-12, but specifically for those younger learners, you can create a library and everyone can be creating a digital book and you can see those digital books and they can draw and they can add text. And it's just a really fun application that you can use as well as really informative. And Paul, how about you? It's a, a great tool that might be utilized and during this time. Well, I love Book Creator. I'm ready to go <laughs> make a book right now. <laughs> that, that's, that's a really awesome tool. Love it for all age groups. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think there's an, an age limit on that by mm -mm. any means. I'm thinking um, in that learn part of the online experience, so let's say it's a self-paced uh, learning environment, video, let's be honest, video is probably the most common practice for delivering content in, mm -hmm. a, in an online and it, it's engaging for kids for the most part, but it's also easy for kids just to <laughs> skip to the end or watch the first 30 seconds and then move on to what's got to be turned in. So there's a tool called Edpuzzle 
And it's a great way to keep the students engaged in that video process. So what Edpuzzle allows you to do is put stopping points within the video and it prompts a question that the student has to respond to before they can move on. And then the teacher can flip a setting that does not allow the student to fast forward in the video until they've watched it. So it, it does slow the students down a little bit asks them to be engaged in the video as they're learning so that they do that good mental processing throughout the, the process of staying engaged. You had mentioned earlier, you know, you should be stopping students every three to five minutes and engaging mm -hmm. them. It's a very similar concept. And now with the video, you can do that virtually. So a really powerful tool. I'd encourage somebody, people to check it out out there. And we do have some tip sheets on avidopenaccess.org. So if you go out there, you can find some uh, details about how to use these tools. Yeah, there are also some videos to help you through it. So you don't just have to read. There's videos for you as well. And I just want to point out with Paul, it's so important, like you said, to really engage students every three to five minutes. Edpuzzle is really great. And you can think of it as your virtual stop and jot. Some of you use that where you're, mm. you only are only want to give students a couple of minutes of content. You need to give them time to process. And then you need to give them time to then get that thinking down and then maybe summarize. So back to what we said earlier, it's kind of like that launch. They're going to explore, summarize, and that can work as well using Edpuzzle. Stop and jot. I, I've not heard that before, Arena. I love it. That's great. All right. So if you need to do one thing to get started tomorrow from what we've discussed today, what's going to come to the top of the list? I really like simple. So just keep it simple. Um, it's really important and very clear instructions for both students and families because you don't want to put up any barriers before you get started. So I think that's going to be my number one takeaway today. How about you, Paul? Yeah, you know, I could go that way as well. Um, I'm going to say take time at the beginning of your class to establish those routines and make sure students know how to use the technology. So when they need to do it on their own, they can do it. So we've shared our one things, our big takeaways today. Now it's time for you to think about it. What is your one thing? What's your one thing for today, for this week, and for the next month? All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I think this is the pre-canned outro. Here we go. Outro, outro, outro. Here we go. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk for Teachers. We invite you to visit us at avidopenaccess.org, where you can explore tech tips, grab-and-go lessons, templates, and videos that will help you bring remote learning to life. We want to hear from you, so let's continue the conversation. Join us each Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central for live chat on Twitter, where we will facilitate conversations related to remote and hybrid learning. Look for hashtag Tech Talk for Teachers. We will discuss your responses on future podcasts. You can also call us and leave a message at 858-223-8999. Please share your comments or feel free to ask us a question. Once again, that's 858-223-8999. We'll be back here next Wednesday for a fresh episode of Tech Talk for Teachers. Thanks for listening and have a great week. And remember, go forth and be awesome. Thanks for all you do. You make a difference.